Folks, when we are faithful to him, he will always be faithful to us. And when you're struggling, and when you're uncertain, and you're standing in the dark, stand still. You can trust him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. The scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14. So if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Exodus chapter 14 as we read together verses 5 to 14. Exodus 14 verses 5 to 14, and you'll find it on page 108 of the church Bible, page 108. As we make our way into this passage this morning, it's worth remembering that the people of Israel have been freed from slavery in Egypt and they're making their way south and east, heading towards Canaan and the Promised Land. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is more than a little upset with them. And in fact, he regrets giving them their freedom. And he is now chasing them down with his uh, forces in order to either capture or obliterate those who won't come with them. So it's a very exciting passage, and that gives you the backdrop to our reading. Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near Pekiroth, opposite, excuse me, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord this day and and the deliverance he will bring to you. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that didn't quite work out the way you had initially imagined? Well, for me, about seven or eight years ago, when I first came to Greenville, that first day we arrived here, I had an interview with the pastor nominating committee that night. 
This was a group of about 16 or 17, and Ruth and Michael and I were gathered in someone's front living room, and we were getting to know each other a little, and we just had some supper, and we had convened in a bit of a circle so we could see one another, and I had uh, in front of me a bowl of dessert, and I was just uh, enjoying it a little. In fact, I hadn't taken any. I was about to uh, get my first scoop, and the person who was convening the meeting gave a welcome to everyone, welcomed Ruth and Michael and I, having traveled the 3,000 miles or so, and they said, Richard, let's start with you. Do you have any questions before we begin the evening? And just as he was saying that, I had put the first scoop in my mouth. And entirely unknown to me, one of the ladies who was there made a tiramisu, and she put a little brandy in it, thinking that would be an added flavor. And then about halfway through making the dessert, she forgot and said, oh, I'm not sure I put some in, so she put a little more in as well. And so as soon as I had taken it, it caught me off guard, and I was talking like this for the next five minutes, <coughs> trying, trying to get my voice back. And I have been teasing the life out of her since and saying that was not the way to impress the new pastor by giving him alcohol in the dessert. And for all of the funniness of it and the humor involved, there are times, and each of us have been there, I think, when we envisage something happening or going one direction, and in fact, it goes in another. And all of that by way of an introduction to the passage in front of us this morning. In Exodus 12 and 13, the people of Israel, 1.5 million people, had slipped away from Egypt and were heading to the promised land. And I imagine they left with a great deal of enthusiasm, encouraged, strengthened by all that God had been doing, and they were looking forward to getting to Canaan to inherit the promised land, and they were an excited people. But back in Egypt, things were not going so well. Back in Egypt, Pharaoh was asking some tough questions. And in fact, as you get to chapter 14, verse 5, Pharaoh does what Pharaoh has been doing for the last several months. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Now, for the past 400 years, back to the time of Joseph, the people of Israel had become slaves to the Egyptians. They had lived in a crucible of pain and poverty, degradation and depravity. And they were, quite simply, slaves. Their life was miserable and grim, and they lived in despair. And then God had called Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses had gone back to Egypt where he had been raised in the royal court as a prince of Egypt. And now he challenged Pharaoh and said, let the people of God go free. And Pharaoh said, no. And not just once, but on ten occasions. And after the first refusal, God sent a plague. And Pharaoh relented and said, well, maybe. And then another plague and another plague and another plague. And eventually, when the tenth plague came, Pharaoh had utterly given in and had said, take them, go, get out of my sight. And off they went. And so they left Egypt, looking forward to getting to Canaan. They were full of life and energy and vibrancy, and they couldn't wait to get to the promised land. But in Egypt, Pharaoh, as you know, had a change of mind once more. And so he marshals his troops, and they head out after 
the Egyptians. And notice what comes in verse 8. The Egyptians were chasing the Israelites, and in verse 8 we read some of the most profound words in all of Scripture. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king. Now, why are these words significant? For this reason. That Pharaoh, over the last several weeks and months, had witnessed God at work. Not just once or twice, but on a multiplicity of occasions, God had intervened and intervened in a supernatural fashion. And Pharaoh could see it. But his heart was so rebellious, so full of sin that he could not see God at work. And the verse there is there as a warning. And the warning on this basis, that when an individual treats God with contempt and disdain and lives in utter rebellion, there may well come a time, as was the case with Pharaoh, when God simply hands him over to his own sinful desires and steps back. Very few times in Scripture do you read this, but it did happen right here. And God stepped away from Pharaoh and left him to his own devices. And of course, we know what happens when sin gets such a hold of our lives. It becomes enticing and attractive and intriguing. And what's more, it has a tranquilizing, addictive effect on us. And for the past 400 years for Pharaoh, Pharaoh had lived in a particular manner and in a particular lifestyle. And he had slaves and one and a half million of them. And the people of Egypt had managed fine, thank you very much, over the last 400 years, living off of someone else's labor. And they were treated no better than property and disposed when they were no longer needed. And God had been challenging Pharaoh over the last few months and Pharaoh would not change. He utterly refused to participate in all that God was doing. And God simply left him and his heart was hardened. And that's what's going on. And with that background, what is going on now is that Pharaoh looks at his chief advisors and his leadership and he asks the question in verse 5, what have we done? In other words, how could we possibly do this? This is crazy. Our life was good when we had these people in slavery. And so he chases Moses and the people of Israel out into the desert. I imagine in my own mind, now Scripture doesn't tell us this, so it's only my own imagination, but it's a reasonable road to go down. I imagine as Pharaoh was moving towards the people of Israel, he would be thinking to himself, Moses, that's it. I'm finished with you. Your days are over. Moses, you cannot call any more locusts or gnats or plagues because there are no houses out here in the middle of the desert for you to infest. There is no Nile River that you can turn to blood. There is no one here and no houses, and all of your fancy parlor tricks are no good. Moses, I'm coming after you, and Moses, I'm going to kill you. And he had all of the resources and all of the ability and all of the training to bring it all to an end. And those who didn't want to come, he would simply annihilate. That's what's going on here. And so sin 
with all of its tranquilizing addiction and deception, has captured the heart of Pharaoh. And as the story continues, what happens next? As Pharaoh approached, Israelites looked up, I'm at verse 10, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And what we see here is a lesson that has had to be learned by every generation of believers since that time. And it was this, that whenever we find ourselves in a difficulty, and that difficulty becomes a challenge, and that challenge is so overwhelming that we become frightened and start to panic, and we are not sure what to do next. Fear replaces faith, and we find ourselves going off in all sorts of directions, and that's exactly what happens here. Notice the first thing they say to Moses, what have you done? Not what have we done, what have you done? Have you ever found yourself at home when there's a glass broken? Oh, it wasn't me, it must have been someone else. It's that almost instinctive thing, and then you think, oh, wait a minute, it was me, sorry. Sin will do that every time. It enables us to justify any kind of behavior we find ourselves involved in, and always blaming someone else for it. And here is the people of God having come through one supernatural experience after another, after another. And still, they turn and blame Moses. And there's no sign of any of them saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did not God not bring Moses to deliver us? Didn't he bring one plague after another? Hasn't he been faithful to us? No, because fear replaces faith. And you may be here this morning... And the spouse you have loved for 30 or 35 or 40 years or more has recently been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you do not know what to do. And you're grieving and your heart is broken and you think, how on earth am I going to get past this? I got an email from a friend recently who said, I simply can't sit there and watch her die. That's what was going on in his mind. He was grieving and hurt. And where was God in the middle of all of this? And this is the question that comes next for the Israelites. Why didn't we simply stay in Egypt? If God was God, why did he bring us here? Because before us is the Red Sea. To the north is the major trade route towards Canaan, but it has fortifications and armed forces. At our back are the Egyptians, and to the south is the wilderness and the desert. How on earth are we going to get out of this? Moses, where is your God now when we need him? What is going on here? 
to get a sense of the panic and the fear that's beginning to work its way through one and a half million people? Now hold that for a second. Let me take you a step further. When they say to Moses, what have you done? They fully understand this, that they have been boxed into a corner, a cul-de-sac, if you like, and there is no way out. In front is the Red Sea, and it is impossible. So what is God doing? Well, perhaps He's doing this. When He says to the people of Israel, I will free you from captivity in Egypt, and I am taking you to the promised land. But in the process, you have to understand this, that some of your behavioral patterns, some of the way you used to live, your mode of thinking, your motivations, or your desires were what you once were, but they're no longer applicable to the people of God heading to the promised land. And I want to change you, and I want to refine you, and I want to fashion you after my own image. And the customs and traditions you picked up in Egypt should be left there, because I am taking you into a new day and a new age, and you're my people, and you can trust me. And when I box you into a corner, and you cannot get out. I'm doing it for this reason, because if you're ever to be my people, I need your natural instinct to be this, to do the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally. Do you remember we looked at this about a year ago on a Sunday morning? He takes us to the place to teach us the lesson that we can trust Him and Him alone. Please hear me when I say this. If you find yourself this morning in desolate straits, and you are grieving inside, and the challenges before you are so overwhelming, they are threatening to leave you broken, you can trust Him you absolutely can trust Him, and you can trust Him not only for your life, but for each and every situation you are facing, and those of your children, and your grandchildren, and the folks at work, and the people who live in your neighborhood. You can trust Him for every situation. And there came a point of commitment for the people of Israel. They were either going to trust Him or turn back. And right here we find the biblical principle. There is no point looking back to where you once were. Our only focus on a morning like this is to look forward to the people we are becoming. This morning is for us Commitment Sunday. And at the end of our study this morning in our closing hymn, you will have an opportunity in the midst of our stewardship season to come forward and put on the table your pledge card for 2016. 
If you worship with us regularly, you will know all of this. That this past week, you received a letter from us, and there was a pledge card there. And this is the Sunday that together, as one people, we step forward and say, we are the people of God. We love Him and are grateful to Him and thankful that He's touched our lives and brought us supernatural peace. And He leads and guides and protects and He answers our prayers and He forgives our sins and we rejoice in Him. That's who we are. We are a contagious church. We are a place that is life-giving and life-affirming. First and foremost, as we have said over these last seven or eight Sundays together, we will always be a place of engagement with God. And this morning, that's exactly what's happening here. And I wonder if you are here this morning and you're saying, Richard, I've been following you so far, and this is a message for me this morning. And if you are here, allow me to say it one more time before I move on. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you were brought up to believe, regardless of what your church affiliation is. This morning, if you are here and need Him, allow me please to encourage you. Take your heart, your mind, your soul, your will, your conscience, and hand it over to Him and say, Father, I am fed up trying to run my own life because when I run my own life, it's a disaster, and I give it to you. Forgive me, cleanse me, renew me, strengthen, and enable me to walk with you from this day forward. That's a point of commitment, and God may well be calling you this morning, and you have tried everything you possibly can, and again and again you're accelerating into a brick wall. That's exactly where Pharaoh was he was accelerating into the Red Sea, and he had no idea it was coming. And here are the people of Israel beginning to panic, and Moses tries to settle them down and say, what? What does he say to them? Stand firm, and you will see the Lord at work today. Stand firm, it's a day of commitment. You can't vacillate between Egypt and the Lord. You have to decide once and for all, who will you follow? And the people of Israel were between a rock and a wet place. It was as simple as that. It was right there in front of them. And you may say, Richard, quite honestly, that was a little cheesy and it didn't work. And we don't even use that phrase in the South. Here we talk about a rock and a hard place. It should have been a hard place. It should have been a hard place place. Because when God puts us in that hard place, He teaches us lessons we would never learn in our day-to-day -day routine life. And the people of God were about to see God work at His best. And right there at the side of the Red Sea, when Moses raises his arms and the whole earth beneath his feet began to shudder and quake and the sea turned to foam and boiled in front of him and parted and God in all his wonder and glory was acting out his purposes for them. 
That's what was going on here. This is why it's a passage of commitment. Now this morning, as we step forward and commit ourselves to the purposes of God for this place, this is what we are doing. We are saying, as for me and my family, I want to be part of all that God is calling us to. I want to invest and play an integral part. I'm excited at what He's doing, and I can't wait to see us grow and develop and go deeper in our relationship with Him. I want to be part of this contagious commitment. That's what's on the line this morning. At the 8.30 service, we almost ran out of time as hundreds of people came forward with their pledge cards. Over the last 10 days, we've been asking elders and deacons to step up first as an example to the congregation. And we have 100% activity from our officers everyone without hesitation bringing forward their pledge. And I think, and I need to double check my figures on this, but when I checked yesterday, the figure was just over $700,000 as our elders and deacons stepped up and said, I am making this pledge before God. I want to be part and parcel of all that God is calling us to. Folks, when we are faithful to Him, he will always be faithful to us. And when you're struggling, and when you're uncertain, and you're standing in the dark, stand still. You can trust Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And thank You that we as committed Christians understand that the Red Sea opens and closes at the Lord's command, and the highways of the future lie within His hands. And so this morning, as we take this step of commitment, we make it an act of devotion and worship. And together as Your people, we are committed to following You, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. My Father, bless us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year, also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church 
is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.